Welcome to Enterprise Radio, the signature show of the Enterprise Podcast Network, featuring some of the most prominent business professionals in the world today. And now your host, Eric Dye. This is Eric Dye, and once again, welcome to Enterprise Radio, a part of EPN, the Enterprise Podcast. Now, we're joining us on the program. We're speaking with Mr. Ralph Adamo, the author of Integrity at Work and the CEO of Integrity Wealth Management. And Mr. Adamo, thanks for joining us here today. It's a pleasure to be with you, Eric. It certainly is. I really do appreciate your time and taking a moment to be with us here today and certainly looking forward to hearing from you as well. So for starters, if you would provide a brief overview of your book, Integrity at Work, Using the Integrity Process to Find Your Financial True North and the Key Principles It Imparts to Individuals Seeking Financial Guidance. Let's kick it off with that today. Yeah, Eric, I, I wrote the book because I believe the the nomenclature of wealth management is a loose term. Uh, I don't believe it's been clearly defined. Um, the profession, the financial planning profession, has defined the steps and outlined it uh, clearly and succinctly. But wealth management, wealth management, I think, goes to a level of comprehensive work that the terrain and the territory hasn't really been mapped out all that well. And so our goal was to I help the consuming public, identify what constitutes wealth management in a comprehensive form. What goes into it, like what lanes do you drive in or what pillars are there or what legs of the stool are there in the world of wealth management? And then how does a wealth advisor or financial advisor help you navigate that if you're the consuming public trying to figure this out? So for us, there are seven or eight different distinct lanes uh, for wealth management. We tried to map out the territory uh, so that folks could understand it. In fact, we dedicated one of the chapters to 25 questions, essentially a checklist roadmap for the consuming public to be able to identify and figure out what, what they're receiving or what they hope to receive is in fact comprehensive in nature and is it congruent and is it uh, cohesive along the way. I certainly do appreciate that brief overview. That certainly is a great place to lead things off here today. Now, also in your book, you emphasize the importance of finding the right financial advisor, which is so important. What specific qualities or characteristics should individuals look for when selecting a financial advisor to ensure a trustworthy and effective partnership? Uh, a great question. Uh, absolutely great question, Eric. One of the one of the things we believe it's in it's qualitative in a lot of ways. Of course, there's quantitative uh, analysis that needs to go into this, and let's assume that the quantitative analysis is competent. But from a qualitative point of view, um, you know, the words integrity, our company's named integrity, doesn't just mean to us transparency and honesty and all the natural things that people think of, but it really means seeing things through to completion. Uh, that's an integral or integral part of delivering comprehensive services in any arena. Now, what we strive for is this term called shared journey, um, a shared future with a client where the financial advisory firm and the, and the specific financial advisor or advisors really care about the outcome. A little like the pilot says to the passengers, if you don't arrive safe, we don't arrive safe. And so this shared journey and this shared future is a collective. It's a, it's a responsibility. And uh, we also share with our clients that we're not just looking to become a trusted advisor. Um, that's a pretty good elevation. But if we really get this right, we want to become the first call advisor. 
the first call advisor is someone that the client leans on and thinks of in almost any instance, whether it's purely financial or totally otherwise, a family matter, a, a health matter, a, a purchase matter. It could be almost any arena, but they want to know that their their financial advisor, at least I think that the optimum financial advisor is thinking this way. To become a first call advisor, I think it requires the four R's, as in the letter R. You need to be relevant. You need to be responsive, you need to be resourceful, and you absolutely need to be responsible. And those four R's are what allow you to become a first call advisor, someone that a client thinks of immediately when they think, well, I'm not sure what to do, who should I contact, and who might help me navigate to some sort of subject matter expert that can help me uh, pave the path forward because I really don't know what to do. I have a special needs child. The grandchild is, was just born. Is there some things I need to be doing, not just legally and technically, but what should I be doing in terms of health care? Because maybe this advisor, one, cares for sure, and two, has a broad enough network and a broad enough reach to be able to make the introductions to help uh, uh, curate a, a different and better outcome and a better trajectory for that child or for whatever the issue might be. Now, Mr. Adamo, how does the concept of return on life discussed in your book influence the way individuals should approach financial planning and how can a financial advisor contribute to maximizing this return for their clients? Touch on that if you would. Yeah, you know, the ROL, return on life, because most financial advisors are speaking an ROI, return on investment, and they're measuring themselves on what is that rate of return that's been achieved. And, and maybe the consuming public is looking for that primarily. But the truth is the the, the money, you know, we have this, this, this um, acronym FORM, F-O-R-M, F for family, O for occupation, R for recreation, and M for money. And if you separate the first three, the F, the O, and the R, family, occupation, recreation, they're the, they're the whys. They're the why we do things. And the M, uh, the money, is the how we get that accomplished. And we spend a lot of time in the how and not enough time in the why and the purpose of what we're doing. And so we constantly want to remind our clients and remind ourselves, are we helping our clients achieve their bucket list? Are we helping them actualize what it is that's important to them and to their families and to their community so that they are embracing the return on life, not the return on investment solely? And of course, money is what helps fuel that, um, that style and that life. But independently, in and of itself, just achieving rate of return and uh, and return on investment isn't sufficient in our estimation for a healthy outcome for the relationship with money and the relationship with family and the relationship with friends. Really do appreciate your visit and the information shared so far. We're speaking with Mr. Ralph Adamo, the author of Integrity at Work and the CEO of Integrity Wealth Management. He's joined us here today on Enterprise Radio, a part of EPN the Enterprise Podcast Network. Now, continuing on, your book also suggests a shift from traditional financial planning to a more holistic and values-driven approach. If you would, share some examples of how this approach has positively impacted the lives of individuals and families you've worked with in your career. That would be some good information. Yes, uh, and Eric, you know, the career spans some 38 years as of September this year, so I've had a number of incidents here which are germane and applicable. 
Well, one of the things I say in the book, and I think it's really pretty critical that not too many people touch on, it's, you know, oftentimes when one generation is passing on something to the next generation, they're talking about the valuables, the assets and the valuables that they're passing on. And often overlooked is the value systems that help them accumulate those valuables. And what we try to encourage, and I can think of a number of families, is having the discussions about the value systems and articulating what those value systems are, maybe reducing the paper what those value systems are so that the family has some sort of, I, I'll call it a family Bible, it's a family brain, it, it's a notebook of, of a recording, or it's digital, it's hung someplace where people understand what the family stands for. It's kind of the fam, not just the family record of the individuals, but the record of what it took to get where we're going. And so we talk to many of our clients and encourage family meetings in order to have these discussions open and healthy. A lot of parents are reluctant to share the net worth and the success they're having financially so as to not disenfranchise their children and disincentivize their children as to the enterprise and industry that they'd like their children to have going forward. Because generally speaking, generation one, the parents who have accumulated uh, wealth uh, have done it through enterprise and industry. They've worked hard. They've saved hard. They've been prudent. They've made decisions. Not all of those decisions were correct and, and worked out, but they made new decisions along the way. And it's helping the generation two and possibly generation three understand what went into the thinking, what we learned from our lessons, you know, when you lose, don't lose the lesson. And many of these very successful families, in fact, they've studied the families who have continued successfully. There's the old Vanderbilt and Rothschild comparison, where the Vanderbilts went from billionaires into pretty much broke in three generations, where the Rothschilds continued on for nine and 10 generations of significant wealth. And what was the difference? And they studied that here in the U.S., uh, right in Southern California. There's a wonderful author that did a lot of work with a colleague of mine. And they studied what it, what did it take to have generations where wealth was perpetuated for five and six and seven and eight generations later. And they realized that um, it wasn't just the family business that generated the wealth, but it was the business of family that generated wealth. And oftentimes the initial creatives, the founders who are dominant in creating that wealth are not passing on what it took to create that wealth and aren't handing the baton off successfully. So you see shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations going from boom to bust in just three generations because the grandchildren never saw, for the most part, what grandma and grandpa did in the early days to create that wealth, the sacrifices they made, the time commitment they uh, put in, what went into creating that wealth. And so they don't really have a, um, a template to maintain the wealth and to continue the trajectory, the growth of the wealth. But the families that are enlightened, that are learning, that there is some basic common denominators. You know, success leaves evidence, and it leaves evidence behind it's if you spend the time to articulate or, or uncover and, and unmask what that evidence is, the next generation can take hold of that and potentially even grow to a higher level. I mean, Warren Buffett has said, you know, when you leave your children and your heirs something, leave them just enough so that they'll be fine, but not so much that they 
won't do anything, essentially. So you want them to be able to do anything. At the same time, you don't want them to be able to do nothing. And how do you pass that along? How do you engender that value system so that they want to take it to the next level and and potentially do a lot of good in, in society? It's not just about accumulating the wealth. It's about potentially putting that wealth to work for better good in this world. And that's the, the kinds of conversations that we're fanning with our clients. And we encourage every financial advisor and advisory firm and even those clients to be asking themselves to assemble, how do we have a family meeting and how do we talk about and articulate what it is that we have as value systems that have worked for us and what should we steer clear of as well as what we should focus on and emphasize. Good stuff right there. Good information. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Now, in a landscape filled with various financial professionals, individuals might feel overwhelmed when choosing an advisor, and that's understandable. What practical steps or guidance can you offer to help listeners navigate the process of, say, finding a financial advisor who aligns with their values and goals? Uh, Talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, there's a few resources of those that, uh, you know, credible institutes and credible institutions that list pre-cleared, pre-filtered financial advisors. Um, They can speak to potentially the competency, the quantitative competency of the financial advisor. And, you know, you can search those on on the web. Uh, But I, I dedicated chapter eight in the book to the 25 questions that you should be asking your financial advisor, either your current one or when you're interviewing a new financial advisor, advisory firm. I think those 25 questions are an exhaustive list. Uh, Could there be one or two others or multiple others potentially? But I think in those 25 questions is buried a lot of gold and, and nuggets there that if you have that and you're armed with that and asking yourself either in the relationship we're in currently or the relationship we're considering, are these folks meeting these standards? Uh, do we see, if looking through this lens, do we see that this advisor or advisory firm is looking to achieve not just the quantitative outcomes, but the qualitative outcomes, to know that we're truly on a shared journey together, that we have someone we can, and some organization we can rely on, uh, not just now, but into the future. We always say about the integrity process, it's uh, something you can't outgrow. It's something you actually grow into over time. And that process, as every financial advisor, should have a process to help clients through all the various life stages, whether it's when they're a young family, when they're a middle-aged family, or when they've got grandchildren and they're thinking through the next steps, or it's an end-of-life process. All those things come into consideration. And does the financial advisor and the financial advisory firm Care enough is that old saying we don't they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care and the truth is if you care a lot you'll be good at your craft and you'll be good at the caretaking of your client and that's where it comes down to the sincerity of care in my opinion mr adamo i certainly want to thank you for all the tips and the information shared per your 38 years plus of experience that certainly says a lot right there And it's certainly an honor to have you with us here today to share your thoughts on financial matters that pertain to our future and our retirement. So really do appreciate all the details shared. Before you go into conclusion, any closing thoughts, a final word, or anything else you'd like to leave us with as we conclude today? Eric, there's uh, 
there is a huge number, tens of thousands of financial advisors. There are many that are credentialed and degreed. Um, I think uh, that prospective clients looking for a financial advisor should first start with those modicums. Are they degreed and credentialed? That's the first thing. What's their educational background? Uh, what's their institutional connection, their pedigree? How did they learn their craft? How long have they been at their craft? And um, and that's the first part. And then the second part is to pierce through the veil to make sure not just the competency levels there, but the chemistry's there. And the chemistry of not just getting along, but the chemistry to see the sincerity of the financial advisor who cares about the future. You know, I have a good colleague, a couple of colleagues, they wrote a book called The Dream Architect. And essentially, as financial advisors in the Midwest, what they're looking to do is help architect dreams for their clients and outcomes for their clients. And I think that's a wonderful vision to, to have when your financial advisor cares about the bucket list that you want to check off and helping you perpetuate that bucket list, not just from the production of money through return on investment, but through the encouragement and the curation of a future that really is a future that one loves and embraces and actualizes themselves as individuals and as couples and as families. And that's uh, what I'd leave as a parting message. Certainly appreciate that bonus advice there. Really solid. And do again, thank you for joining us here today. If listeners wanted to tap into Integrity Wealth Management and or to pick up your book, Integrity at Work, where is the best place online to get further information? Yeah, I think I think you know we have a dedicated website, Integrity at Work. While we use the at sign in the title of the book, uh, of course, in the ULR, it's Integrity AT Work. So Integrity fully spelled out, then the word at AT Work, no punctuation, all one word. Integrity at Work dot com. You'll find information about the book. Uh, you'll find a video on each chapter. You'll find each chapter there. You don't have to purchase the book. If you want a hard copy of the book, it is on Amazon and other fine retailers uh, where books are sold. And um, it's available. And uh, to reach us, there's right on that website, all the contact information, all the disclosures. Uh, we don't practice in every state. So one, we have to have some caution as to with your national audience, um, who and what uh, individuals we can help. But other than that, we're here. And if that information can be helpful, can pass it on. And, and I think of not only the consuming public can benefit from it, but hopefully it helps level up a number of financial advisors who are looking to level up their game as well. Hey, that sounds good. And of course, listeners, you can also find this link within the show notes of this broadcast for your convenience. Mr. Adamo, all the best. And again, we thank you for joining us here today on Enterprise Radio. You're welcome. Take care now, my friend. All the best. And all the best to you as well. We've been speaking with Mr. Ralph Adamo, the author of Integrity at Work and the CEO of Integrity Wealth Management. And for further details, simply visit IntegrityAtWork.com or IntegrityIWM.com. And again, this has been Eric Dye, and we thank you for listening to Enterprise Radio, a part of EPN, the Enterprise Podcast Network. Tune into our live location as we are streaming live 24-7 around the world at epodcastnetwork.com forward slash live. You can also find our live stream on iTunes Radio and TuneIn Radio, as well as the TuneIn Radio app for your listening convenience. And as always, we thank you for your support and for tuning in.
Thanks for listening to Enterprise Radio. To subscribe to more of our programming, visit epodcastnetwork.com. This is the ePodcast Network.